Hey guys, did you know that LifeSouth Community Blood Centers is the sole provider of blood to every hospital in Alachua County? That's what we mean when we say give local, save local. You can help raise awareness about the need for blood donors in our community by participating in the Life South Race Weekend. This family-friendly event in downtown Gainesville, February 18th through the 20th, features a 5K, half marathon, kids run, and wellness expo. Check out the details at the Life South Community Foundation website or Facebook page. Challenge yourself and your kids to do one of these events. Registration is now open and the Kids Marathon event is free. Check it out today at LifeSouthCommunityFoundation.org. You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast for you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. You guys... This past November, there was a local election for the vacant city commissioner seat, and because no candidates received more than 50% of the votes, there will be a special runoff election between the top two candidates who only had 560 votes separating them. These candidates are Mr. Matthew Howland and Dr. Cynthia Chestnut. This special runoff election will be held on January 25th, and of course we thought, what better way to kick off season five of the WHOA GNV podcast than to invite these two candidates into the studio? Both candidates had originally accepted our invitation, but unfortunately, Cynthia Chestnut had to cancel on us last minute. Hopefully, we'll be able to reschedule and interview her before the runoff. Don't quite know yet, but we'll try to make that happen. And uh, just so you guys are aware, we don't ever share questions in advance with our <laughs> guests. That's all with any guest. <laughs> That's typically because I don't know what I'm going to ask half the time. It just comes spontaneously like as, as we're doing this. Uh, and in today's podcast episode, though, some of the questions have come directly from you, our listening audience. I often send a newsletter out in advance of episodes asking for your questions, so if you are not already signed up for the newsletter, do so at whoagnv.com or drop me a personal email at colin, C-O-L-L-I-N, at whoagnv.com and say, Colin, add me to the newsletter and I will be happy to do so. Thank you to those that took the time to send in questions. You guys are awesome. And of course, please mark your calendar for January 25th and get out there and vote, you guys. Get out there and vote. So, let's jump into today's episode. You guys, today on the show, we have former public school teacher and nonprofit director and one of your candidates for Gainesville City Commission, Matt Howland. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. So, Matt and I have actually met before, way back when, when you were doing work with Youth Combine. That's right. Uh, so, I'm super interested just to kind of hear the evolution of your life, where, 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 <laughs> things, where things have happened, what's been going on, sure. and, uh, you know, just... I don't know, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your story, yeah. how you originally got to Gainesville, and what's been happening ever since I last saw you, man. That is a very thoughtful question. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's the first time I've actually been asked to share my story and how I got to Gainesville. Um, you know, coming out of high school, uh, I had no plans to go to college. Uh, I didn't want to go to college. I was working full time in a restaurant. Uh, I thought I had all the money I was going to need. Uh, college did not excite me. Uh, my mother 
literally took me by the hand one day and took me to the local junior college and said, you have to enroll. And they said, pick a major. And I said, I don't know, I guess business. Uh, and I was just sort of bebopping around my local community college. Uh, and I was living, uh, I was living with six other guys, my age in a three bedroom, two bath. And, uh, they were all incredible. They were in, they were at USF studying big things. And, um, one day we hosted a New Year's Eve party and a young lady walked through the door and I'm not kidding you, it was love at first sight. Uh, I immediately fell in love with her. Uh, she, she was balling out though. So she was valedictorian. She was top of her class in high school. She was a senior in high school getting ready to graduate. And I was like bebopping around community college. And literally that night I said, I got to get my act together. I cleaned up. Uh, she was already on the way to University of Florida. I transferred to Santa Fe College, uh, community college at the time, made straight A's, got into the Honors College at Santa Fe, and then transferred to University of Florida. And she and I were students at the University of Florida together while dating. Uh, and she's my wife now. Uh, and so that is literally like the, the first and best thing that happened to me in my life. And that's that's what brought me to Gainesville. We should have her in here. Yeah, maybe we should. <laughs> Let's just cut now and say, come tell uh, the story, the please. Here? Like, we want to hear how this all happened. Like, uh, that's funny. It, it was, yeah, that was incredible. Um, and so while in, at University of Florida, she was studying math. I was studying history. It's funny, like two, you know, liberal arts degrees. And what she, time period was that? This was uh, 2005 to 2009. Okay. I mean, it took me it took me like five years to get my degree. <laughs> she was balling out. She came into college with like 60 credits or something. Um, and so we both graduated at the same time, even though she started a year after me. Um, and uh, she knew that she wanted to be a school teacher. So she was already going to grad school to become a school teacher. Uh, I was getting ready to go to law school. Uh, and at the last minute, uh, I had a local principal, uh, Jim Tim Big, who was principal of Westwood Middle School at the time. He offered me a job as a teacher at Westwood Middle School. And I said, you know what? Uh, I don't think I'm ready for law school. I don't think I have the maturity for law school. And I said, uh, I at the time I was running after school programs for the city of Gainesville Parks and Recreation Department at that school. I knew the school, I loved the kids. I loved being around the kids and their parents. So I said, okay, let's go for it. Took the job, became a school teacher. Um, that was a funny conversation coming home. My wife was working on her grad degree to become a teacher, and I came home with a teaching job in hand. Um, but it's all good. That job changed my life. Um, I'm forever thankful for becoming a public school teacher. It was the hardest job, the best job I ever had. Um, but watching the kids grow up in the hallway in front of you for years, meeting their parents out in public, it was incredible. Uh, and then it was in that job, uh, one year, uh, Principal Tim Big wanted to create an after-school program that provided sports programming to kids. He asked me to design and lead it, so I did it. It was called Westwood Combine. It was a huge success. We had parents from other schools asking to send their kid to, to Westwood's after-school program, which wasn't allowed because there was a, you know, a, a different school policy going on. And then eventually members of the community said, Matt, you should consider uh, expanding this. And so I did, I, I literally, uh, I organized some initial board members, folks that were involved in the community, folks who had started businesses before. 
Uh, and I, I literally, typical startup story, quit my job, sold my car, had enough money to pay rent for three months, and I had this brilliant business plan that we were going to charge nothing for membership. <laughs> and our income, we're just going to find five businesses to donate $10,000 a year, and we'll be set. Uh, we never had a year where five businesses donated $10,000. Um, but yeah, that was how Youth Combine was born uh, in, in 2012. And um, ran it for years. That was such an incredible time working in partnership with City of Gainesville, School Board of Alachua County, University of Florida. Was the revenue model still uh, fundraising or it was you end up pivoting that? Yeah. So we tried fundraising at first and our, our happy place was about 60% uh, membership fees and 40% donations. And that's either corporate sponsorship or donations from generous donations from members of the public. Um, our first year was still entirely free. Our second year was like 10 bucks a month and 20 bucks a month. And the lesson I learned there was um, I was always uncomfortable raising the fee to what it needed to be mm. to make ends meet. So instead, we always had these really painful, slow rate increases, which were probably just annoying to the parents, if anything, because I always felt uncomfortable. Like we had to charge at least 50 bucks a month. But if we did that, we would have a lot of kids that wouldn't be able to afford it. They wouldn't be able to come to the program. So we always did these gradual increases and tried to fundraise to support the bills that couldn't get paid. Um, but it was a great time. I remember at our peak, we had 100 University of Florida student volunteers. We had seven locations running concurrently. That means at all at the same time. Hundreds of kids every day after school coming out for fitness programming. We eventually went into summertime programming where we offered, uh, it was called STEAM Academy, Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics. And we would teach kids computer programming, engineering, art, and fitness every summer. Uh, and, and we were really trying to push the envelope with like what it means to provide fulfilling opportunities for kids. Um, yeah, I did that for years. It was an incredible experience. Um, I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, yeah, and then um, you know, my wife and I were ready to, for new opportunities, and we found that we were 28, 30 at the time, that it was actually difficult for people our age to find that next level opportunity in the city, right? Um, I, I looked around, I started to become a little frustrated with what I felt like was the lack of opportunity someone my age was looking for. Uh, so we set out on a, a national search. We decided we were ready to move on from the city. And uh, my wife got a job offer in Washington, D.C., which was a really easy move for us. I already had friends in Washington. And so we moved to D.C. for, for her to pursue her career. Uh, and I found work up there. We worked for years. Uh, then during the pandemic, when our work went remote, uh, both she and I, our D.C. jobs went remote, we realized we missed the community in Gainesville. Washington, D.C. is an incredible place. We loved living there. Uh, but it's been my experience, as you get older, it becomes more difficult to make meaningful relationships. Those friendships that you made when you're 22, 23, you're getting married, you're having kids, you're discovering what it means to be an adult together. Those are really meaningful relationships. And for us, they're here in Gainesville. So we moved back last year, and now I'm on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm really interested to hear this. Uh-oh. Uh, I mean, at what point in this journey are you like, you know, let me go run for city commissioner. <laughs> let me let me try to fill this vacant seat. I mean, what sure. what is going on in that head of yours? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I get that question a lot. Um, 
I had been involved in, in politics for a long time. Uh, I was either working for campaigns or working for lawmakers. Um, uh, I believe in civil service. And I always had a feeling that I would run for local office one day. I just, I wanted the timing to be right. Um, I wanted the city to be ready for me. I didn't want to have to change who I was to try to get elected. Um, and when uh, Gail Johnson announced her resignation, I had some people call me and say, you should really consider this. Um, and at first I just kind of brushed it off and said, no, it's I, I can't do that. And then I had some more people call me and I gave it some serious thought. I talked to my wife, I talked to some friends, I talked to everyone you talk to when you need someone to say, don't do this, are you crazy? <laughs> uh, and everyone said like, no, you should do this, you can win. Um, and it's important. Um, and then I looked at the electoral math, right? I've been in this long enough to know that it's you don't want to waste time and money if you don't have a path to victory. I felt like I had a path to victory. But most importantly, I felt like the timing right now, I can be myself, campaign on my truths, say what I think needs to be said, and be my honest, true self. And I think the city is ready for someone like that. Uh, and so I said, okay, let's do it. Because I refuse to, to pander or lie or say things I need to say to try to win votes. I'm not going to do it. It's unproductive. I'm going to say what I believe in. And some people will agree. Some people may not agree. And that's okay. That's the beauty of a democracy, right? Uh, and it's been good so far. Cool, man. So, I mean... Like, I like to ask this question of people who are getting into public service. Mm -hmm. I mean, how comfortable are you with the the hate that comes along with the position? Fair question. <laughs> the that's a great question. I think we should talk about this more. Like, as a society, we should talk about this more. The politics campaigning. There can be a lot of great stuff, and there can be a lot of less than great stuff. Um, <clears throat> It is a, now that I'm the candidate, right? I've always either worked for the candidate or worked for the lawmaker, but now that I'm the candidate, uh, it's, it's an entirely different feeling. Uh, I've been involved in politics long enough to have expectations of what's gonna happen, but now that I am the candidate, uh, yes, yeah, it definitely feels different when you're on this side of the wall. It's a strange feeling to have people I've never met hate me it's a strange feeling to be um, attacked, uh, not for policy positions, but for personal characteristics. Uh, it's a strange feeling to sort of, I can, I, can I can like step away or like invisible hand, look at it from like a bird's eye view and sort of watch my candidacy and watch my campaign sort of get picked apart by members of the public or the electorate, which is all part of the democratic process. And, and sometimes it's been very interesting to watch that play out. Sometimes you're watching this argument unfold about my, you know, my candidacy or my campaign, and you're going like, oh, it's, they got that one wrong. That's factually incorrect, but let's see where they go with this, right? And you just watch it play out. And, and sometimes it's like a, a train leaves the station, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you do your best to say, okay, brush that one off, keep moving forward, stay focused. And you're not gonna you're not gonna win every battle. You're not everyone is going to agree with you, or maybe not everyone's going to like you. Um, and that's okay. The, so long as at the end of the day, so long as you're being yourself, and the voters are making their decisions, hopefully based off of the best information possible uh, over what they in uh, candidates they connect with and the future that they want to see for this city. That's all we can ask for. <clears throat> um, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I can tell you that. Uh, but I've enjoyed it so far. 
What have you done to like really just prepare your mindset for that though? Is there anything? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, there are a few things. The some some smaller things. So uh, I run every day. That's been helpful. I've been running for years. It's sort of my morning meditation. Uh, I practice yoga all the time. Uh, that's that's been very impactful for me. I've been doing that for years. That helps me a lot. <clears throat> um, the you know the sobriety right. So I gave up alcohol. And that doing this while being sober uh, has been an incredible experience. The, and this is the first time I've spoken about this, but you asked the question, so I, I'm going to be honest. The, my sobriety is what allows me to go through this campaign process and do these things, go through the hard stuff and not be affected, be okay, be positive. Um, I'm very thankful for it. Uh, and it's, it's what works well for me. It's a decision I made for myself. I wanted more time to work during the day. I wanted better focus. I wanted to be more positive and optimistic. Uh, and I've been, I've been saying this to friends throughout the campaign process. Like, yeah, the, my sobriety has absolutely been a, 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 par, a positive part of this campaign and it's helped me get through a lot of stuff. Um, you know, my, I'm, my mother is going through some very difficult um, health issues right now where the timing has been very challenging with my mother's uh, very serious health condition uh, com- combined with the, the timing of the campaign. There's a lot of stuff going on where if it wasn't for uh, my, my wife, my friends, my community, uh, my sobriety, my my meditation. Uh, there would be plenty of opportunities to uh, to succumb to challenges, to to lose control, lose focus. But I'm I'm there. I'm, I'm mentally strong, and it's been great. Awesome, man. What do you believe you can do for Gainesville that will be an improvement from where we are right now? <clears throat> well, we have a ton of opportunity. Uh, Here's some stuff. I like to talk about things I can I, I can work on, things that I feel like I can have an impact on. Um, so I talk a lot about economic development. Uh, as someone who started a, a small business, small business owner, uh, I witnessed, I experienced brain drain. People leave the city for other opportunities. I was someone who left the city for other opportunities. I know the power of creating small businesses and creating opportunities in the city. One of the things I'd like to see us do is I live downtown, all right? And so every day I walk past empty storefronts uh, and I can't help but feel like I know that there are people in this city, there are entrepreneurs in this city that could fill these storefronts, they could create jobs, they could create opportunities, they could create unique, culturally diverse businesses inside these storefronts. They just need a little bit of help, right? Oftentimes that first three to four months is the the hardest hurdle in trying to grow a business, start a business. Uh, And if we were able to provide them just a little bit of financial assistance, we could overcome some of these initial hurdles. We We could help them go into these, fill these empty storefronts and put businesses in there. I'd like to see us use some of our American recovery dollars to do so. Help these younger, diverse entrepreneurs start businesses east of Main Street and fill these empty storefronts. If we do that, it'll increase foot traffic. It'll increase economic development. These things will increase safety. It'll increase cultural diversity downtown. It'll help create a stronger community. I'm very passionate about that. 
I think we need to have hard conversations about development, what we build and where we build it. I think taking a defensive posture or digging our heels in over development is completely unproductive. Landowners are going to build stuff. Stuff will be built. We should be playing offense and bringing the community together and having hard conversations about what we build and where we build it. If we play offense, we can continue to build a funky, colorful, awesome Gainesville we all know and love. Uh, But if we dig our heels in and, and play defense or just try to shut down development or development moratoriums, it's completely unproductive because the developers are still going to keep building and we're just going to be sitting on the sidelines saying ho-hum ho-hum we can come together as a community and have hard conversations about this stuff and that's been a, a pillar of my campaign since day one which is difficult conversations are important and nuance matters you know, one of the hot topics hmm. recently, or at least on this show, because I had I had uh, City Commissioner David Ariola on the show, and we kind of just topics. Here we go. We kind of got into. I mean, we just kind of got into like the vaccine mandate sure. stuff that they were trying to push. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just kind of curious. You know, what's your perspective on that? Do you think that that was the right move to push this vaccine mandate on the city employees? Um, you know, how would you have approached it? How would you have done it differently if you would have? Mm-hmm. Or are you just like, yeah, completely agree with what these guys were, were per- Perfectly fair question. Uh, I'm vaccinated. I also just got my booster. I was very, very thankful for that. I think everyone that can be vaccinated should be vaccinated. I think it's an important civic duty to be vaccinated. The There's a couple things at play here. One, I support home rule, right? So like, At the end of the day, the city of Gainesville should be able to make these decisions for the city. I don't I am uncomfortable with actions that the state is taking that is weakening our home rule decisions. So that's first and foremost. Uh, Number two, mask mandates. So uh, mask mandates, that should be a, a local home rule decision. You can don and doff a mask, right? I can go to work, put a mask on, get off of my shift, take my mask off at home. The vaccine mandates are different than mask mandates. A mask I can take on, I can put on, take off. Vaccine mandates are requiring you to put something in your body. For us to, and I think it's very important that we get as many people vaccinated as possible, but the challenge with the vaccine mandates are the way that they're designed and the way that they're rolled out. There are city employees that have collective bargaining agreements. These are agreements that govern their employment and we cannot unilaterally change the terms of employment on employees without giving them a seat at the table to come to the table and have conversations about what's it going to take to get all of our members vaccinated. I've met with all these groups. I've met with the unions. I have not run into anyone who is anti-vaccine. And they'll all tell you how proud they are to be vaccinated. Their members are proud to be vaccinated. They're talking to their unvaccinated members, trying to get them vaccinated. But what I think one of the mistakes that happened was the and there was not enough time awarded to bring these members to the table, give them a seat at the table when it comes time for negotiating and make them be a part of the process. So instead of handing it down and forcing it onto them, bring them into the process. Let's all talk about this together. If it was me, I would have used that city hall auditorium and brought 
unvaccinated individuals together time and or the leaders of the groups time uh, brought them in together time and time and time again and said, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? We have to find a way to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Uh, And it takes time and it takes, again, difficult conversations. Um, That's my position on it. But I can tell you the we should not. I know I have seen the commercials. I've seen the news segments where they they find someone to interview about vaccine mandates. And the person they're interviewing uh, is saying stuff that is factually inaccurate. Right. Misinformation. The that's not representative of what all these groups are talking about. These groups that are standing against vaccine mandates, they want all their members to be vaccinated. They just have they want to be a part of the conversation of how do we achieve that goal. Uh, And I think it's important that they have a seat at the table about this goal when we're asking them to put this vaccine in their body, which, again, I think they should. It's critically important. But let's bring them to the table and have conversations like adults, like what's it going to take to get everyone vaccinated? It's a very difficult, sensitive topic. But if we're not prepared to have difficult conversations and why are we getting into the game of governing? Yeah. Um, I mean, so with that said, do you think that the state, you know, should have stepped in? I mean, because they did, right? The state, the state basically came in and said, "Well, well like DeSantis is saying, hey, hold up, we're, oh, not, we're, yeah. not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna have this happening." So you're, you're very much pro home rule, mm-hmm. but do you think that the state government uh, shouldn't have done that? Yeah, no, I don't support Governor DeSantis doing that. Um, I don't support any action that weakens home rule. I think the city of Gainesville should have the right to make the decisions that's best for the city, best for the city employees. Just like as a school teacher. But that's what I mean, that's really what DeSantis was arguing, though, was that they they weren't. And well, so so here he is stepping in to defend their rights and saying, hey, you're you're overreaching here as the city government and you should not be doing these things. I'm stepping in to really prevent you from requiring a mandate mm-hmm. and making a bunch of people lose their jobs. The that yeah. at least that's the way I sure, perceived like, it. Yeah. So I, I totally see how you can perceive it that way and it can be framed that way. But in taking that action, he's also stripped an action away from the city, which is now the city cannot even f- enforce a mask mandate, right? So, like, the city... I guess, where does that line... Like, where yeah. is that line? Oof. You know, like, where's yeah. the line of, okay, like... Because, I, you know, David and I talked about this, too, is like, at first it was very much... You know, DeSantis was very much, you know, let the local governments make the decisions. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, over the course of this thing, that kind of that kind of started to change. It was mm-hmm. like, whoa, whoa, now now you're not protecting the freedoms of these individuals, so I'm going to step in and do that. At least, again, that's mm-hmm. the way I perceived it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fair. The, I mean, I see that argument, and I can see. I think, like, I'm I'm like halfway there, but I I don't think you can defend freedom while also taking away a city's home rule to do what they think is best for the city. And the I would trust each city. Each city is different. The needs of Gainesville is going to be different than the needs of Ocala, different from the needs of Fernandina Beach, different than Miami. And so at the end of the day, I want each city, each home rule to have to be able to make their own decisions. And I can tell you as a school te- as a former school teacher where we work for the school board of Alachua County and we're trying to make the decisions that we feel are, are best for our school system. And then we would have 
lawmakers in Tallahassee be handing down these educational requirements to us. And we would look at these educational requirements, whether they're at content requirements or timeline requirements, and we would look at them and we would say they have no idea what the needs of our schools are right now in, in Gainesville. And it's a frustrating thing to have uh, lawmakers in Tallahassee issue these requirements down to you in, in Gainesville. Uh, and so at the end of the day, Oh, you're speaking from the standpoint of a school teacher now? Yeah, that was my experience, like receiving stuff teacher. down from Tallahassee as a school teacher, right? Okay. So like the school board of Alachua County doesn't always get the final say in how they, what they got to do, how they got to handle the educational requirements of the students because then stuff was being handed down from Tallahassee. At the end of the day, I want home rule. I want whether it's the school board, like I was just talking about being a teacher, whether it's the school board or it's city hall or or the county commission. I want us to retain as much home rule, as much local power as possible to make the decisions, be flexible, be nimble, make the decisions that we need to make locally when we need to make them. There might be a time where we have to if there's a surge during the wintertime with Omicron and a, a, a surge during the wintertime with family gatherings, there might be a time where a mask mandate might be necessary. Do we have the option to turn that on anymore, right? If Tallahassee is saying you can't do that anymore, the city can no longer take action locally that it thinks it's best for its local option. That's yeah. where I draw the line. I guess where a lot of it has started to shift, again, from my perspective, is this, uh, you know, our local governments, our local school boards abusing their power. What would your answer be to that? Hmm. Uh, no, I don't think so. The And again, coming from someone who used to be a public school teacher and, and I work for the school board, I trust, I'll speak about our school board, right? I trust our local school board to make the decisions that it thinks is right for our local schools. Sometimes they're going to be hard decisions like mask mandates inside the schools. Sometimes they're going to have to fight against what the governor is trying to do with local school boards as it relates to masks. But at the end of the day, I am always going to trust my local people that I know and elected over what lawmakers in Tallahassee are trying to make us do inside of our local school board. Uh, I know some of the school board members. Uh, I've, I've been a part of the local school system for a long time in various capacities. I know that there are sometimes there's hard decisions, challenging decisions, controversial decisions. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm always going to give the most trust and confidence to the people that are most local and closest to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting times, man. Yeah, for real. <laughs> because I mean, even on that, even on that note, you know, you're talking about like with with the mask mandates in, in schools and stuff. I mean, the I don't know if it's just a where is everybody getting their information from, mm. you know? Because what I've seen is like the data just doesn't support masks in schools, right? So for a decision to be made by the school board to require mass mandates when DeSantis and state government has said, look, the data does not support this. And all the other county, like nobody else is wearing masks in schools and everything's been just fine. Yet our school board was really hammering it, right? Like, 
I can totally see this perception of the school board. In fact, I actually think I heard Ron DeSantis say something. You know, this is the United States of America, not the United School Boards of America. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think he he stepped in because it was just basically saying that the school board is trying to abuse their power and enforce this on when parents should be the ones making these decisions. I come from the standpoint of being a father mm-hmm. of an eight-year-old uh, who was forced to wear a mask to school, and I'm thinking to myself, this makes no sense. The data doesn't support it. And I know how important it is from a learning perspective for kids to, you know, it's been, I've, been got, I've gotten into some crazy conversations with people, even talking about high schoolers, talking about high schoolers who are now like, they're like hiding their identity behind these masks. Mm. You know, we're talk, you talk about the impact of us hiding behind mm-hmm. our phones these days, right? Mm-hmm. Being behind our phones, but the, the ability to like hide your, and keep your identity behind this mask is starting mm-hmm. to mess with people from a psychological standpoint up through high school. I'm like, man, I can't get this mask off my kid fast enough. Mm-hmm. Again, 100% my personal opinion and view. Mm-hmm. Um, but... At least that's what, that was, again, the way I perceived it from DeSantis saying, look, the school board is 100% abusing its power. Um, and so I personally, I'm kind of glad that he took that power away from them and said, look, you're not going to do this mm-hmm. and gave it back to us, the parents, and allowed us to decide. Um, but I don't know. I didn't, didn't mean to go off on no, that tangent. Okay. I mean, look, like, you're, I, think, I think that's perfectly fair. Uh, the, I see it differently. Uh, I, I don't see it as the school board abusing their power. Um, I think that they're making the, the decision that they think is best given the, at this time, at this place, they're doing what they think is best. Whatever decision they make, they're probably going to upset 50% of the electorate, no matter what. Um, <laughs> ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I hear you. I, I just see it differently. Okay. This episode is going to release right at the beginning of the year. We're at the beginning of December right now for everybody who's listening. Uh, cause I, I, I preface that with, with this because I'm going to ask a question about this new variant, right? I have, <laughs> and know, the, know that in a month from now, the, like the we could be professional. That I I'm just saying like, we could be like head, you know, we could be neck deep in this variant sure. by the time this episode releases. <laughs> uh, that, that was a huge mistake back in early, in early, like 2020, we did episode 100. We had, yeah. epic, it was an epic episode. We recorded that episode at the beginning of March, 2020. Mm. And then we didn't release it until the beginning of April 2020, and so much had changed at that time. So now I feel like I got if I record this far in advance, which we're doing, you know, because of the holiday and everything, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how neck deep we are in Omicron by the time this episode releases. Uh, but say say cases spike. Like, what steps do you believe the city commission should take, knowing what we know now about COVID and going through this for the last two years? Uh, take steps towards what? For just our city, for businesses. Like, do you think that we should lock down businesses again? You think that's something that it should be on the table? Mm. Like, how do you approach the decisions to be made as it comes to you know? Let's just say like it's go, goes crazy. Mm. Right now, we're very we're very lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cases are super low. State of Florida is looking really, really, really great right now, mm-hmm. but. Obviously, with this new variant, who who knows what could happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, what what steps do you think should take? I guess so. This goes back to my prior opinion of home rule is the most critical thing we can protect. 
uh, the ability for City Hall and the County Commission to make the decisions that we think are right and appropriate for our city and our county, uh, that's paramount. So I do believe that we should be doing everything we can to protect our home rule. Uh, that's number one. Number two, the I support all the private businesses being able to make the decisions that they think is best for them and their business as far as conducting business. Uh, I think it's important that they continue to be awarded that freedom to make the decisions for what's what's best for their business. Uh, I also think that it's we, we have seen the importance of making sure that we have uh, critical infrastructure in place to make sure that if, if things slow down or we have to go into a period of an, an more restrictions, which hopefully that doesn't have to happen. We have so many people vaccinated. Um, I think it's important that we have critical infrastructure up and running and being effective all the time. Uh, this means making sure that we have safety nets in place in case people lose their jobs or they're temporarily out of work, making sure that people can still get to work if they use public transportation, uh, all the little things that need to happen so that the city can keep functioning if things take another downturn. Uh, employees at employees that work for the city, employees that work for GRU, uh, folks that can't work remotely that still need to report to the office every day. Let's make sure that we've learned and grown and, and make sure that they can be safe and do their job effectively if that were to happen. But my goodness, as, as we record this now and think about the future, I, I hope we'll be okay. I think it was saw something on your agenda or something, maybe it was the, the interview with the Chamber of Commerce okay. that I watched about the utility rate increases. Yeah. Um, you know, what can you really do about it if you get into the commission in 2022? Because they really just voted yep. to raise it. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm very curious as to yeah. your approach and yeah. getting in there. So there's gonna be scheduled rate increases for the next few years. Um, there's a few things, so I, I've been trying to address this holistically. Uh, I still, I, I stand by, that's been one of my top policy positions is affordability. Of inside the city and utility rates is one of those top priorities. Uh, th there's a few things that I've been talking about to holistically address this issue of utility rate increases because I'm not just concerned about n this year, next year, or the next three years. I'm also talking about the next 10 years, the next 15 years. So a major part of, of that platform for me has been, if you look at our uh, energy sources, as a pie chart, increasing the slice of solar energy. I used to work in solar energy. Solar energy is right for this area. And it, if we increase the usage of solar energy, we can buffer against uh, rate increases of other energy sources. We can help levelize long-term costs of energy production. But what's important is uh, privately owned solar so solar on a rooftop you can put solar on your on the roof of your house if you'd like it's like installing a new garage door it's, it's your choice uh but if we are to do this effectively for the entire city and make sure that everyone has equal access to the energy produced by solar and thus we all have equal access to the controlled rate increases or levelized cost of energy production over time, it's critically important that GRU is the owner and operator of this increased solar capacity. As taxpayers, uh, GRU is our uh, citizen-owned utility. And so if, if GRU is able to achieve their goals, and I think they've been good partners in this in trying to increase their solar capacity, 
Uh, they are the owners of it. They use it to help levelize energy production costs over the long term. And then those savings, which maybe they don't look like your rate is going down, but at least it's not going up or not going up as rapidly, that gets distributed evenly to all the rate payers. Uh, if someone wants to put solar on their house, great, do it. Uh, but every time that a house, every time that you put rooftop solar on, it does create a, a, like a, a, a downward effect on one more person purchasing less energy from GRU. Uh, now, that being said, everyone is free to put solar on their roof if they want to. That's fine. I'm an advocate for solar energy. Everyone do what you want to do if you want to pursue solar energy. But as a city, as a commissioner, uh, and, and with oversight over GRU, I would be advocating for increased solar capacity at the city-owned utility level so that the benefits of that solar energy was were felt uh, equally by all the ratepayers. And I think that's critically important. There's also some other stuff that you know isn't as sexy as solar energy, like duplicative services, right? If we're running a communications department at City Hall and a communications department at GRU, a human resources department at HR, a human resources department at GRU, GRU is part of city government. Maybe there are some duplicative services that we could combine or reduce to have some, some efficiency uh, of spending, and that could help get control of, of rate increases. Uh, the cost of energy production slowly goes up over time, right? That's, that's, I don't want to say it's unavoidable, but costs go up over time. If we are looking at ways to buffer against that, which uh, could be reduction of duplicative services or levelize it over the long term, which would be increasing the capacity of solar energy. These are long-term things we can do to, to help residents, help the rate payers. I will say that, at this point, I've knocked on over 5,000 doors, every corner of this city. And for every individual who says the rate increases aren't that bad, they're not, they're only a few percentage points, it's only five bucks a month. I have met someone in a some corner of the city where that $5 a month is a stressor for them. It is a pressure point for them. Um, and I think as a government, we can always do a better job of communicating what we're doing and why, uh, and making sure that we are, uh, it's easy, utility rate increases are going to hurt me less than they might hurt another rate payer in the city. And just because I don't notice them and I go on with my day to day, doesn't mean I should, we should all do a better job of listening to our neighbors and being aware of that there are people across this city uh, that have significantly different economic realities than we do. Uh, they might have more inefficient homes, more inefficient uh, appliances in their home. And all these things, when you multiply this against minor rate increases, create uh, disproportionate hardship for some homes as compared to other homes. Lower income residents, uh, poverty level residents, uh, lower middle class residents, rate increases disproportionately affect them than they do other citizens. So though the percentage rate is small, it hurts different citizens differently. And we should just do a better job of being aware of that. Before we wrap this up, uh, dude, what can we do to get more people out to vote? Mm. Uh, you know, from from what I understand, so I looked up some of the numbers from this this last election, this local election, right? It was on November 16th, 
And it sounded like a good number of people actually showed up for the special election. More than normal. Yep. But still, it was only like 12,000 residents, right? Like it was like 13%. It was mm-hmm. like a 13% turnout. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, I, f- I hear that and I'm like, man, like how do we how do we get more people to show up for these local elections? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just... I don't know, maybe you can talk about that or what you would do to, or maybe just encourage people to get out there and, and vote. And, you know, if you want to say a couple words to wrap it up and then we'll sure. close out. Sure. Uh, I think it's very easy in this time that we live in right now to, we are attracted to national level politics like we are attracted to sports. Uh, the national level politics is what gets the media attention. Uh, then it gets our attention. We talk about it. It's, it's easy. It's not easy to talk about. It's always salient. It's, it's national politics is top of mind. And we talk about national politics like we talk about celebrities or sports teams or, or Hollywood. But it's critically important to understand that the local government has the greatest impact on your day-to-day life. Local government makes decisions about the job you work, how you get to that job, the access to groceries that you have, what type of energy is being delivered to your house, how much does it cost, what is the cleanliness of of your water, Uh, do you have housing choices, do you have, are there enough homes to where you can live in the part of the city you want to live in, is it affordable to live in that part of the city? Uh, These are all decisions that are made locally, and if you don't show up to vote, then who are you electing into that seat? And I think it's critically important that people do the best they can to, uh, data shows that voters vote primarily on uh, superficial characteristics, right? Uh, I like this person's hair, I like that person's voice, I like the way they look. The, but it's, I think it's, the, the one ask that I would have for the voters in this city is just, Think about what candidate do you think best represents your values and vision for the future, regardless of what the race is. It could be this city commission race. It could be the school board race. Well, by the time this airs, it's going to be 2022. There's going to be three city commission seats, a mayor seat, a couple school board seats, a couple county commission seats. There's a bunch of stuff that's going to happen in 2022. Look at the candidates and ask yourself, are they talking about issues? Do they have ideas? Do they have a vision? Or does it sound like they're just pandering? There's, to me, there's a huge difference between wanting to win and wanting to do the work. And if you listen to the way that candidates talk on the campaign trail, I think you can discern, does this candidate just want to win or does this candidate care about doing the work? And just take the time, take a few minutes to, to listen to a podcast, watch a YouTube video, and just a couple minutes and listen to the candidates talk and you will be able to tell, are they about winning or are they about working? Because this isn't uh, fantasy football. Like fantasy football is about winning, but local politics governing is about wanting to do the work. And so find the candidates that you think best represent your values, your vision for the future, and someone who makes you say, you know what, that person would work really hard, right? Um, and then go vote for them. You know, the, it's, I can tell you a first time candidate, it's, uh, it's challenging being out there, right? You're, you're, you're working hard, you're trying to earn these votes. Um, and you just hope that your message connects with as many people as possible. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, the voters choose democracy. (laughs) (laughs) 
And that they, you will have the ability to choose on January 25th Yep, is the runoff. So make sure you go vote. Um, where can our audience connect with you? Where can they learn more? Where can they contribute to your campaign if you wanted to do so? Like, yeah, where, I mean, where's the best place? The So campaigns are like businesses on overdrive. We <laughs> raise money and spend money in a short period of time. It, it costs money to turn it costs money to get your message in front of voters right um, if voters want to learn more about me my campaign my policy positions if they want to contribute to the campaign it all happens at the same place it's we know uh, if you want to reach out to me there's a contact form on that website the information goes to me uh, i've been i've said this from the beginning of my campaign i will talk to anyone at any time i don't care who you are or what you believe in i'll talk to you all I care about is that we have, we can have great debates. We can talk about, we can have difficult conversations. We can avoid uh, emotional reactions to things that typically drive debate off the rails and become unproductive. All I'm asking for is the opportunity to talk to people and for neighbors to talk to each other and get to know each other. And, and if we do that, we'll be okay. If we perpetuate infighting if we perpetuate divisiveness uh then we cannot be surprised with the results we see thanks for coming in man thanks great it was, job it was a pleasure to have you thanks to the team um yeah thank thank you and thank you to the team james leitner sarah lance and to our intern team trinity gianna and noah for all of your hard work appreciate you guys so much can't believe that we're in season five you guys this has been amazing so special thanks to all of you that listen and make this possible thanks to the sponsors that have been so supportive over all of the years um definitely support them at whoagnv.com slash sponsors and when you do be sure to say I heard you on the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go whoa. Matt, give us your best whoa. Whoa. We will see you later. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year.